Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hello, I'm Celine Schillinger, and I'm delighted to be here speaking from Lyon, France. Something you may not know about me is that I am a knight. Yes, it exists in my country. I was awarded the uh, National Medal of Honor by my government a few years ago, and so I'm uh, technically a knight. I just wrote Dare to Unlead, not the other famous book by somebody else. Mine is Dare to Unlead, The Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World. And when I do not write, I love to row. I row on the Seine River nearby my home. I've been rowing for 20 years and I'm, uh, I totally love this sports. I actually speak about it in the book. I drive an analogy uh, between rowing and great leadership. I'm inspired when I talk with people about their passions and my passion is good leadership or collective leadership. Now, I stay connected with people to people by social media. I'm uh, rather active on a variety of social media. I absolutely love working in engagement leadership or engagement enabling leadership. I'd love to speak about, to say a word about my mentor. My mentor is Myron Rogers. Myron is an author and a leading expert in living organizations or the science of living systems applied to organizations. And we worked together on a project several years ago and I've learned enormously. And Myron uh, wrote the foreword of my book, uh, Dare to Unlead, and I'm uh, immensely grateful. And whenever I have some like issues, challenges, I get to him and ask for his uh, opinion, advice. He's always been uh, there for me. Very, very grateful to Myron. I just picked up the newspaper today and you apparently won some big award. What was this all about? Yeah. Tell me about it. It's all fresh. It's from just a few hours ago. I was awarded the J. Cross Memorial Award by the Internet Time Alliance. The Internet Time Alliance is an alliance of um, pioneers, I would say, in the field of social organization, social learning. And they've decided to honor the memory of their colleague, J. Cross, who's no longer here. And this award is um, uh, granted every year to somebody who has advanced the field of social learning, workplace transformation, informal learning, etc. And I'm super, super happy. I'm, I'm walking in the footsteps of uh, very talented people. So I'm, uh, I'm very grateful, hmm. very honored. Quite a recommendation as far as where you're at in conjunction with the book yeah. and everything you've got going on. This is just sounds like your sale just got a very good wind. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. I, I it's, uh, it's all coming at the same time. That's true. It, and it's an encouragement in a yeah. long journey already. It started a long time ago. Let's talk uh, about in, this long journey. Yeah. What was your first step in this journey that brought you such awareness around social impact or social development mm. of an organization? I would say, I, I don't know, the first step might be so long ago, it, it's hard to remember. Maybe it's even in my family, you know, history or mm. something. I start the book with the history of my grandmother, actually, who was a, a child worker. 
uh, in a lace factory. Child labor was already forbidden, but at that time, some organizations still hired children and she started work at nine. I keep that in mind because I understand that some of the uh, old obsolete practices, we've moved beyond, you know, we've left them behind us. And I feel there's more of this work to be done today. We need to evolve the way we work. It's probably by experiencing myself firsthand some of the frustrations uh, that workers experience every day in their workplaces. And I'm not, e not even talking about blue collars or, you know, people under very, very hard conditions, but even the white collars, you know, uh, knowledge workers in many places feel uh, constrained, limited, that potential is not fully utilized. They are under enormous pressure and that's what causes a lot of burnout and with moment of reflection for many people across the, the pandemic leading to this great resignation movement and um, even without that I feel there's a, a lot to be done in the workplace to create more fulfilling environment for people but also more successful environment from an economic well, standpoint. I hear what you're saying and I understand that creating an element of agency for the individuals mm -hmm. in an organization to feel like they're actually part or important to the organization, I'll say, mm -hmm. is that not every organization buys into that. Do you see certain industries that are a little uh, less engaged in trying to evolve? Yes, I do. I feel that organizations with a large shop floor uh, workforce, well, many people working in, you know, frontline uh, positions, these organizations generally underestimate greatly what those people can bring to the organization. And they tend to treat them or manage them, handle them as robots in a way, like interchangeable cogs in the machine that can you know, run smoothly according to processes. But that's not how humans want to work today. And this happens not only at the, uh, with the shop floor. It happens in every level of the organization so, today. So do you think this convergence or this emergence of different anticipation of what work life should be like is it because of the digital revolution what what was the trigger that brought about people's i'll say consciousness yeah. to change how they feel the digital revolution has uh, empowered consumers uh, for a large part and empowered consumers feel um, a disconnect when they get back to work and um, I mean become again those disempowered employees and you feel it uh, like things are not matching in addition there's a lot of uh, social values changes uh, you know there's evolutions in what we believe in what we consider right or wrong so there's it's not just technology right. Uh, that is at play here. It's also the transformations of the world and demography and sociology, etc. But it's clear, it's very clear that we as humans have evolved greatly. Our expectations are no longer what they were 30 years ago when I entered the, the workforce. Right. We no longer accept the same things. Our relationship to authority, for example, is very different today. Yeah, so, right? so we're talking about something in the workforce development that has gone beyond the idea of just having a union. 
Yes, right? yes. I mean, I mean really, it, 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 and, and actually, mm. are unions going to be able to keep up with all this social change? That's a good question, because uh, my personal experience of unions in France is that unions have reproduced, for a large part, top-down, hierarchical, mm -hmm. cascading mm -hmm. kind of uh, way of work. So we all, we all need to evolve, including the unions. <laughs> When I created the first employee movement, the first grassroots movement in the in my workplace, then I remember some of the unions looked at it with suspicion. They thought it was sort of a competition, you know, against what. And I highly respect unions. I I find uh, a lot of what they do is utmost necessary. And I had great partnership with other unions who understood that those grassroots empowerment movements were actually a fantastic opportunity for the voiceless employees to, to have a voice in the future of the organization. Going back to your grandmother's story about child labor, mm -hmm. there is a certain balance point that would be optimal if we could keep the balance. But like you said, unions kind of came in and became a superstructure uh, mm. to represent a yep. bureaucratic methodology of command and control. Exactly. Who's responsible out there in the world to be that change agent of an organization? Well, if it's not unions, who is it? It's all of us. It's all of us together. It's each and every one of us. We cannot delegate this responsibility to someone in particular or an organization in particular it would be too easy but that's what we do every day you know we sort of uh, give away give pass up. the buck you know exactly yeah. exactly i put the monkey yeah. on <laughs> on somebody else's shoulder yes exactly i think we all need to roll up our sleeves and do something in each and every workplace you're talking about social responsibility mm. Is humanity ready for that? I think it is. Okay. I think it is. What prevents it is um, the power of habits, probably, and also some ideology mm. entertained by, by some of those who have the power, who concentrate the power now. Because, of course, concentrating power gives you a lot of privileges and, and, and leeway, you know, to do whatever you want. We are too, too many to buy in this ideology where a few exceptional people only should be in charge and the rest of us should yeah. wait the, and see yeah, and yeah. do whatever it, it we're sounds told like to do. The decentralization of this command structure, thanks to the digital revolution, exactly. has put us all in charge. Does your book give a call to action? for that to happen yes it, it it does it does and i think if we consider that now we are already in charge because of the networks and because of decentralization i think we're wrong we are currently not in charge even in our, our networked world you can see we are shaped our, our behaviors our actions are shaped by algorithms by confirmation bubbles uh, we, we are not um, in a position to really act in in the best possible way in our environment so we need to know more we need to connect to more people we need to connect the system to more of itself that's one of the uh, elements i bring in the book i find networks to be a fantastic opportunity but i'm also wary yeah. of some of the consequences we've seen in the last five eight years so i, I do not 
idolize networks. I think there's a lot to be learned from communities as well. Explain to me the difference between a community and a network. I would say a network has no boundary, no, it's just the act of connecting, you know, connecting ideas, connecting people, and you have strong networks, weak networks, and both are important. A community is, uh, Mary Parker Follett used to say that a community is a process. So it's not a, it's super interesting. It's not a territory where that's often how we understand a community to be, you know? I think yeah. most people would say a community is geographical. Exactly. Or, or, yeah. Or... And Mary Parker Follett said it's a process of integration. It's a creative process of integration. So it's a process. That means it's a, it's a movement. It's something yeah. that, that goes on and on and on, right? You don't have a community once forever and then it's set. And No, it's a process. And it's a process of um, integration of different ideas, different viewpoints, different perspectives through creation, the creation of something that is wanted by this community. And so often it, it coalesces around a common purpose or desire. Mm -hmm. It's a place where people do sense making yeah. together. Well, it sounds like the iterative process of software development, coalescing of evolution around yes it it does yes you you sensed a, a just a tiny little hesitation in my answer <laughs> that was because uh, it makes me think of agile this agile you know methodology of which uh, which is super interesting and it is coming from the software development world but that yeah. has been in my opinion applied mechanistically to organizations mm, which uh, is anti-creative exactly right if you're going to have e exactly. agency for individuals yes. to say hey what about this what about that participate e and engage in the system then you can't really lay down all the left and right limits of how things will be done amen that's great <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly and yet it's uh it's convenient i mean it's it's a temptation that many people have in organizations to jump on the bandwagon and do, you know, an organization digests the newness or whatever comes at it, uh, agile mm. or design thinking or whatever came before, uh, and it digests it. Uh, through its identity, through what what it is already. That's why bureaucratic organizations transform everything into bureaucracy. You bring in diversity, ping, it becomes a new department with KPIs, with yes, people in yeah. charge. You bring in sustainability, blam, it's the same, you know, and agile, the so same. taking all these different fruit yep. and putting it in the same pie they already had. Exactly. To make the same pie they already had. <laughs> exactly. So it cannot bring anything new. It cannot change anything. Okay, well, let's go into the book. Yeah. I know you said that there was three main focuses around content or what you wanted to address. Can we talk about those three? Yeah, with pleasure. So I, I believe that leadership uh, as it is practiced today, which is often seen as a, an individual set of uh, competencies and behaviors that make some that are linked to certain assertiveness and confidence, and that puts some people above others because they are considered as, you know, the true leaders, the heroes, the saviors. I think this is toxic. Don't you think some of them just naturally just take charge? I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
good or bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are those that will not take charge and those that are like, hey, I got to do something. It, it's it's true. It's true. And yet we can do better and we should do better because this kind of this approach used to work when reality was less complex, when, like when things. Men and women lived in caves, right? I mean, yeah. you know, hey, I'm, you know. Follow me. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but today, um, you have a large chunk of the workforce which is uh, waiting for instructions because they, they've been told to, you know, so wait or ask for permission for anything, wait for instructions. And even some of them are subject to contradictory injunctions. We ask people to be innovative, but at the same time, they must follow all rules, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's a discord. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it doesn't even resonate together. Exactly. It reminds me of the concept in a movie I saw, a documentary about typewriters. Mm. The reason why a lot of folks still use a typewriter is because you cannot autocorrect on a typewriter. <sighs> and the concept was... If I'm going to be creative, I don't need little squiggles telling me this is misspelled or you should use this word or gra grammar rules mm. or this comma should be here because the analytical editor mm. side is bifurcated from the absolute creative side with no rules. So like songwriters would use a typewriter to create a song because they could just free think without anybody saying, oh, no, don't oh, do that. Oh, fabulous. I love this analogy. I think it's fa fabulous. Really interesting. The book is uh, offering new pathways to practice uh, in forms of leadership that I believe are much more adapted to our expectations as people, but also to business expectations, to the, the expectations of performance and results, you know, that organizations have. And these, um, these practices are born from my own experience on the field. So it's not just, you know, theory coming from my brain. It's based on actually two, almost 30 years of practice in the workplace and successful experiments with those uh, mobilization movements. So the three pathways I'm uh, suggesting are linked to universal values. I didn't want to create a new, an additional framework. I think we have already too many um, work along principles of freedom. So injecting more freedom in the system rather than less equality removing patterns of domination and submission that squeeze potential out of the workplace and community, community building, how to keep the network together. So I'm happy to go into more of them if you want. Well, it sounds like it's utopia, but how do you, <laughs> how do you run a utopia? So, I, and I well, got to say, I yeah. like the concepts and I, I don't want to be a pushback kind of guy, but is all the hinge point of success of that organization upon the HR process to hire the right people that can fit in this new dynamic? Uh, you know, thinking about all those experiments, successful experiments I've been through at a global scale with many people. Like some of those experiments or practices, successful um, uh, initiatives gathered 5,000, 8,000 people across three continents. Uh, some of them were even bigger. So I can tell you it works. It's, it's not a dream. It's not a fantasy. It's not an ideal. It actually works. It's, and there are some very, very practical stories and tips in the book. So the first principle around liberty, it's not inviting people to do whatever they want. It actually starts with oneself. It starts with self-emancipation. 
it's about questioning the rules of engagement, I would say. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I being asked to do this or that? What system am I in? What do I reproduce from the current system that should be changed instead. I give you a one example. If people suffer from a hierarchical management, you know, some like, but then at the same time, they ask for permission for everything yeah. to their boss. What do they do? They maintain the system. They don't change anything. They maintain the system, but more importantly, they give away their power. Absolutely. So liberty is about creating more of this opportunity for people to leverage their own agency realize they are not powerless, but they have agency and they can do things. They can do something about it. I was talking with a CEO recently who told me about her leadership team. She said, oh, I really would like them to be more, you know, to propose things more, to be more, uh, to have more agency, basically. Mm -hmm. And she said, so I'm going to go to have them go through a leadership training. And so I'm designing the training with a particular school, etc. And I said to her, have you thought about inviting them to contribute to the design? And she said, oh, no, uh -huh. she was and she realized that she was absolutely reproducing what she was claiming she wanted to change. <laughs> you see? Most people have these little recordings in their head yeah. of architecture of what is. And that's where you've got to start, right? Exactly. You, you got to give the brain an update to change the operating system. Exactly. That's what Barry Oshry called system site. He said we need to shift from system blindness to system sight. And he said this is the source of empowerment, self-empowerment. Tell me more about that. Oh, it's fabulous. Barry Oshry is, uh, he lives near Boston, I think, worked for many, many years around human systems. He's a fabulous uh, thinker around human systems. His, his, some of his books are like right next to me, uh, Seeing Systems is one of them, Unlocking the Mysteries of Organizational Life. And Barry Oshry says we tend to act along, he calls that the dance of blind reflex. When we enter an organization, we, we tend to act according to the position we're in in the system, not according to, you know, the personality of my boss or myself or the job that is to be done. No, it's according to opposition in relationships of power. In, in the relational dynamics. It's position and authority, right? Those are two that are together. Yes, but for example, what Barry uh, Oshry describes is when you are appointed at the head of a system, for example, you're appointed at the CEO of an organization, well, your natural tendency, this dance of blind reflex, will be to suck up responsibilities for yourself. Because you, you're in charge, you've been appointed, you, if you're appointed there, it means that you, you know better than others, you, you're worth better, you're, you know, there's something better about you, right? right? The others will naturally also expect you to tell them what to do. The, the counterintuitive move that you need to do if you want to really, you know, empower the system is to actually inject responsibility in the system, in the organization, instead of sucking it up to yourself. 
And that's not easy. So how does that really apply to a corporate structure? I'll speak about a, a, one of the projects I was involved in. That was the transformation of the work culture in a large pharmaceutical industry. So pharmaceutical industry is extremely regulated. These rules and regulations that must be followed, absolutely. The temptation of this industry for the last, I don't know, 80 years maybe, has been to normalize, processize, uh, regulate behaviors internally in order to produce something super consistent and reliable externally. I mean, the, the, it has worked for a while, it did, uh, until it did not, <laughs> uh, until it removed people's, um, removed their brain when they come to work, in a way. In the morning, they just, you know, they remove, they put their brain uh, at the at the door, keep it at the door and just follow procedures, which creates a lot of problems. Uh, and that's the situation we were in at that time. There were a lot of non-quality issues because people were not speaking up or disempowered or not interested or uh, feared consequences. What we did was to, instead of re reducing variations to the minimum, we sort of created a, an environment where people could be free, freer to contribute to whatever project they wanted uh, through volunteerism. So creating a movement of volunteers, basically, so that you could have, for example, a shop floor worker contributing to a training initiative because they wanted it. Huh? That's a very different uh, mental or mindset than when you're appointed to join an initiative. I hear this example and all I can think of is that so when you've got and it's, it's got to be a fear response, right? If for somebody that's in that industry that is used to mm -hmm. having left and right limits all the time mm -hmm. on everything and creativity is not engaged yep. whatsoever because you have to follow a strict yep. protocol. Yep. When you flip that, that's got to create havoc for some people. Yes, and I remember the testimony of an employee in another organization where I did exactly the same. Uh, and that person said, at first, this, this freedom was unsettling. It was unsettling. We were a little bit afraid, you know, when we, you know, get those volunteers and say, okay, now what do you want to do? Uh, and they're like, ooh. And she <laughs> added... But then we realized we could use this freedom to be creative. And that was for her and her colleagues a aha moment and where they completely unleashed uh, their creativity in the service of the business. Huh? It was not just, you know, it was not to, to have fun. And that's what managers fear about it. They say, oh, what happens if people are freer? Well, you got to have rules. You got to have rules. Uh, we have to have rules or things will be chaos. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the opposite of, of rules is actually not chaos. It's trust. Trust. Tell me more. Trust uh, factor comes with, um, I think, uh, creating this, uh, this environment where we feel we're all in this together. It's not just, you know, me giving instructions telling you what to do and then punishing you if you do not, you know, deliver. Uh, it's me and you working together. That's a, a good segue to the second principle, which is e equality. I believe that those patterns of domination and submission inherited from the past have become completely counterproductive. People resent domination. People resent being talked to. I think any relationship comes with 
respect mm. and yeah trying to remove those those patterns mm. that are completely toxic and as a woman in the workplace a very privileged woman i must say but still a woman i can say i have experienced those patterns of domination and submission i have seen them all around me for 30 years mm -hmm. and so i believe the the opportunity here comes with networks networks as technologies but also networks as organizing principle or as as modes of ways of working how to work more that's why i talked about volunteer networks for example mm -hmm. those are super super interesting as a complement to organizational hierarchy which i do not believe should go away completely yeah. uh, at all i'm not an anarchist um, i think the hierarchy is uh, extremely important and has demonstrated right. its strength right so somebody's got to write the paycheck absolutely however it cannot do everything it must uh, make space to a, a more fluid organization with people belonging to both huh, at the same time otherwise if you if you create something radically different in the same organization you'll have those you know antibodies fighting each other and it, it's not good so it's a it's a dual operating system uh, that has been described for example by john cotter in his book accelerate uh, in 2012 he describes, yes, this dual operating system where you have the hierarchy and the network working mm -hmm. together. Well, it sounds like a biological organism. Exactly. And in this field, I have learned enormously from my mentor, Myron Rogers, whom I talked about in the beginning. Uh, and all this field uh, informed by biology, by life mm -hmm. sciences, by physics, the works of uh, Gregory Bateson and Fritjof Capra. And... Well, let's, let's move into the third segment that you wanted to bring up. Yes, so community. So so once we've liberated ourselves from old patterns, we've seen patterns and we've decided we could change them. Once we've connected the system to more of itself in order to benefit from its diversity, free of domination or submission, then we need uh, something to keep the network together. Uh, so that it doesn't, you know, go in every direction. And that's where I believe uh, fraternity or community, we want to work together because we like it, because we feel it great to be together. You know, this feeling, which is absent in many organizations because they don't care, I believe is the core element, the core enabler for good work, for good work with, with important consequences on society on positive you're, consequences you're talking more than just a mission statement it's a it's a mission statement in a in a way but more than that it's a i would say it's an activist purpose i'm i've been very much influenced by uh, the science of ne of movements and there's a lot to be learned from social movements there's a lot of to be imported in in organizations uh, if we want things to move fast to if we want organizations to deliver you need to engage people and almost build like a political movement but it's not political of course huh? but it's creating this movement where people will want to join instead of uh, being forced to do something Right? You're creating inspiration. Yes. How do you create company inspiration? Well, it's uh, pretty simple. <laughs> it starts with leadership. 
with leadership, seeing systems, seeing what they uh, reproduce, wanting to do things differently, and then creating partnership across the organization, partnership with the shop floor, partnership with the front lines, partnership across uh, different uh, functions, but also age groups, whatever, the more diversity, the better. To have that um, level of engagement, doesn't it have to require a conscription or a an, an idea that when you get hired by this company this is the expectation this is how you will operate here mm, ideally it's not because, yeah. because but more importantly i mean mm. the re you're, you're putting the responsibility yep. of participation and engagement on the individual not everybody wants that exactly and this must be respected the this should in no way be mandatory and it's it's all the more powerful that people will want to join because they will see their peers being extremely happy and extremely fulfilled and th that it remains a voluntary movement. What needs to be avoided at all costs is sabotage. And sabotaging sometimes happens because of the top guys, uh, because some of them feel it challenged, uh, challenging to, to well, have- threatened, well, right? Threatened. They have to feel threatened, exactly. period. Yeah. They're going to lose their power. Exactly. Some of them understand right away how wonderful it will be for themselves, for the organization, for their people. And others uh, have a more short-sighted view, I would say, and just are just concerned with their power and privileges. And for these, for some of them, you can live with that. And others who actively try to uh, kill those movements, uh, they, they need to be, they need to go elsewhere. <laughs> they need to retire and move on. Yeah, exactly. So I like what you're saying because you're saying about an invitation yes. is much better than a command or an order. Exactly. The old phrase in the military was you've been voluntold. Yes. So, right? Yeah. You just volunteered because I just told you you're volunteering. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you can definitely see the difference uh, of engagement, of, of productivity. Yeah. Well, and it, it combines every element you've been talking about yep. is that it engages the person on a level that is more holistic. Yep. Uh, as you were saying about the the CEO or the, the tops kind of sabotaging sometimes, going back to biology, it would be like asking a medical student, what's the most critical, important part of the human framework? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it all kind of works together. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, so it would be the same, flip that mm -hmm. to an organization. What's the most critical thing of this organization? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. so if a C-suite or the command and control center thinks that they are, mm -hmm then that's part of the problem. Exactly, it is. And unfortunately, that's what their paycheck may make them think. <laughs> uh, it's a confirmation, right? Exactly. Uh, they earn, Look, I'm worth all this money. Well, that's yeah, right. CEOs earn on average uh, 320 times what average worker earns. Mm. And even in some industries, uh, the difference is even higher. It's 400 something. So yeah, everything in the current system is made to continues to favor this heroic, superior, better than everybody else kind of uh, leader huh? leadership. Um, it's it's not serving us well. It will not serve us in uh, solving all the big problems we have to solve. You know, uh, global warming, etc. We need to shift our perspective to. Leadership is a collective capacity. Leadership is a collective capability or capacity to be nurtured. 
And, and, and responsibility. Exactly. Right? Re it, yeah. Yeah. Well, my friend, I need you to tell me what you think knowledge management means. So knowledge management, uh, in my opinion, is precisely nurturing this community of people so that they, uh, they, this social, the social capital of an organization, so that people want to share their knowledge with others. It has nothing to, or little to see with databases, with you know, the, the actual content, and way more to see with the, the quality of relationships within mm -hmm. that community. Last definition, what is creativity? Oh, creativity is, that's a, that's a good one. Creativity is um, being confident that you can do things differently. It has to do a lot with arts, with seeing the world differently, with system sight, but it's uh, it's about this this confidence that anything is interesting. Not everything is good, but anything different is interesting. It can open new ways. You never know. And in this respect, I've been extremely lucky to be, I feel I've been lucky to be born uh, from uh, artist parents. Both were art teachers and have probably um, helped me uh, challenge things in the workplace. That's interesting. So an art background prepared you for business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't want to be an art teacher uh, myself. It was too hard. It's too, it's super difficult to be a teacher. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend. Any other final thoughts before we go? Thank you, Edwin. I loved our conversation. And uh, I think it's important to follow your podcast because you need to know. <laughs> awesome. Oh, thank you, Edwin. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.